0: let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 1 today. I have no idea if uh, we'll be looking at other parts of the letter in the weeks or months to come. We will if Rupert needs me to uh, help by preaching, but we'll look at chapter 1 today. And it's always a good exercise, I think, to just call to mind what is in your mental filing cabinet if if someone says First Thessalonians to you, what categories are in your head? It's good to build up a mental filing cabinet of the 66 books of the Bible so that you have a rough idea of what territory you're going venturing into when you open any of the books of the Bible. If I say Genesis, you immediately think of the beginnings, the creation... God's promise to Abraham, etc. You have a few mental categories there for Genesis. What are the mental categories you have for 1 Thessalonians? I can tell that some of you have no mental categories whatsoever for 1 Thessalonians. But let's read chapter 1 and we'll see if we can find some. Paul, I'm reading the NIV as it happens, but you can follow there in in the church Bibles or your own version. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. May God help us to... Here, to really hear his word this morning, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is precious and true, but more than that, we need the help of your Holy Spirit with us and in us, to bring its truth home to our hearts and minds, and so to change our attitudes and lives, mold our priorities, shape our relationships. And give us endurance, we pray, to walk in your ways as we listen to what you say. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. I've often heard, uh, as you will have as well, sermons on the parable of the sower, where you look at the four types of seed that land on four different types of soil And we often learn quite a lot about the shallow soil or the soil that's infested with weeds or the soil where the birds come down and nick the seed away. And so we learn quite a lot about what tends to make the gospel become fruitless in uh, the different contexts of this world. But we don't often stop to think, what does it look like when the seed lands in the good soil and that seed grows into strong plants and becomes uh, fruit-bearing plants that yield a crop of 50, 100 and more times. What what does that look like? What is it like to be in a church family where uh, the seed is continually falling in good soil and bearing fruit And I think the church in Thessalonica is about as near as we get in the New Testament to such an incident. The church in Thessalonica was a good soil church. There, the believers were growing fast. They were genuine believers who had truly turned to the Lord Jesus Christ when Paul had proclaimed the gospel to them. There in Thessalonica, as we see even from this first chapter, there were just signs of authentic, genuine gospel growth and Christian living, which was real and lasting. And so it's a wonderful letter and a wonderful church to look at because it just reminds us of what God loves to do by his Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary human beings when the gospel takes root, when the seed lands on good soil, the church in Thessalonica is a bit like a picture, a living example of what is going on. And I want just to highlight three um, facets, if you like, from this first chapter of what life looks like in Uh, a church when the gospel takes root. First of all, in verses 1 to 3, we come across one of Paul's famous uses of his favorite triad, faith, hope, and love. Um, Paul handles those three elements of a Christian belief quite often in his writing, faith, hope, and love. He often weaves them into his letters in this kind of threefold form, and this is one of the instances where uh, he does that. I don't know if that was just a favorite teaching tool of Paul's, that he liked to talk about faith, hope, and love, and that's why it crops up in his letters, or whether that was more widespread across the early teaching of the apostles, but it's something that's particularly noteworthy in Paul's writing. And that's why we have, in in the local um, Christian bookstore, if you turn away from the books and look on the wall, you'll find the cross stitch inevitably there that uh, someone has done patiently, and it's framed faith, hope, and love. And one of the references 1 Corinthians or here, 1 Thessalonians. But what I want to tell you about in, in the church of Thessalonica is the cross stitch that nobody has ever made or framed. And it's not faith, hope, and love. It's what these three things led to. Because that's what Paul highlights here in the lives of the Thessalonians, isn't it? The faith, hope, and love of these believers led to something. It produced something. Nobody has ever made this cross-stitch. Work, endurance, and labor. Tell me if you find it on the wall of your Christian bookshop. I bet you don't. But that's the the hallmark of life in the Thessalonian church for which Paul is giving thanks. It's the fruit of of their faith in Christ. It's the result of their hope that Christ will come again. It's the product of their love for the Lord Jesus that is so telling when the gospel takes root in people's lives. And actually, when you think about it, faith, hope, and love in and of themselves taken out of a Christian context, are just spiritual words which all the world would happily gather round and rejoice in. It's the kind of stuff that would form the backbone of the order of service of a kind of interfaith worship event, isn't it? Faith, hope, and love. Never mind who the faith is in, what we're hoping for, or where the love is going. But what Paul is saying here is that distinctive faith in Christ and genuine hope in the fact that Christ will come again and judge this world and real love for the living God do something. And what they do is spelled out in verses 2 and 3, or verse 3. Your work Produced by faith, your labor, your endurance, inspired by hope. Work, endurance, and labor. It's a kind of, it's the ongoing, consistent living of the Christian life in the relationships that we have with people in the church and outside the church. It's the ongoing relational qualities of Christian faith lived out that count for the gospel in this world. Work, endurance, and labor. It's very unexciting. It's not novel. There's nothing worthy of a headline here. It's just consistent, selfless, relationally authentic Christian living, which goes on and on and on, however many new years come and go, however many people come and go, however many Sundays come and go. It's when the gospel takes root, there is a living quality the Christian relationships that cannot be undervalued. I loved it when I heard this week that one local church was honoring an unsung hero in their midst, a lady who had served the same Sunday school, obviously not the same children, but the same Sunday school in the same fellowship for 65 years. She started when she was 15 Uh, years old, and she just kept serving, kept going Sunday after Sunday, year after year, decade after decade. I I guess she was uh, probably teaching some of the children whose grandparents (laughs) she taught um, about the Lord Jesus from the scriptures. But that kind of consistent relational Christian service is what happens when the gospel takes root when I was a student in Aberdeen I went to Aberdeen to study and was quickly invited out for a Sunday lunch by an elderly couple in the church I attended and uh, later on discovered that that same elderly couple had been inviting students to their home for Sunday lunch for 50 years and that's the kind of relational consistency that happens it's unusual but it happens when the gospel takes root Nobody's made the cross-stitch, work, endurance, and labor. But when the gospel takes root, those are the kind of qualities that begin to emerge in the lives of Christian people. Secondly, from verses 4 to 8, uh, not now the cross-stitch that no one ever made, but the deep convictions which need no publicity campaign. The deep convictions which need no Publicity campaign. Look at verses 4 to 8. And here there's a a little bit of insight into what happened when the Thessalonian church was born. Paul went, uh, he says to them, We know uh, that God has chosen you, Thessalonian believers. That means we know that you were genuinely converted. God has chosen you because. When our gospel came to you, it wasn't simply with words, but it was also in the power of the Spirit and with deep convictions. When the gospel takes root, when you're looking at soil which is fruitful and fertile for the gospel, you're looking at a situation where the the words of God from Scripture are not just taught or spoken, but they are spoken and they produce deep convictions in the lives of those who hear and listen. That's a very telling phrase. We are people who believe what we believe because we have deep convictions about what is true, and those deep convictions about what is true come from a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the work of the Holy Spirit takes place within us when we hear the words of God accompanied by the Holy Spirit's work. And when that happens, deep, Lasting convictions are formed in the lives of human beings. And people are never the same again. And they never change again. They just become deeper and more true to the Lord Jesus the longer time passes. The deep convictions which need no publicity campaign. It's interesting that Paul has to highlight the fact and remind them that they didn't just hear words. There's all sorts of situations where people hear Christian words, but there's no work of the Holy Spirit. There's no producing of those deep Christian convictions. There's just a hearing of words. And Paul was saying, that is not what happened amongst you, Thessalonians. Sometimes it's possible to hear teaching or a sermon or an explanation of the Bible that's entirely true. You might learn a lot about the historical context of the pa- passage or the church in the New Testament. But it's just words. We've all been in, in situations like that where we feel, well, well, I feel anyway, after three or four minutes, oh my word, I'm bored already and there's another 25 minutes of this to go and I could really gain exactly the same information if I went to the most tedious commentary on my bookshelf and read it. It's just words It's true words about the Bible, but it's just words. And Paul is saying to them, that's not what happened to you. Or you have lots and lots of words that are not boring. They might be really exciting and entertaining, full of human interest stories and dramatic um, accounts of what people have done and how people have changed. But... It's just words. It's not producing anything in the lives of the listeners. It might be the the opposite to the, the long, boring explanation that's like a lecture, but it's just words. It's human stories about human beings that have no lasting fruit. But in Thessalonica, this was good soil, where the seed of God's word landed and did something, and produced something, and there was fruit, because it was words with the Holy Spirit that led to deep convictions in people's lives. If convictions are very deep, and I hope and pray our Christian convictions are very deep, because they are born within us by the Holy Spirit Himself. So, we are people who are convinced that Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem at Christmas time, is the only Saviour of the world, that He died on the cross and rose again and will come back to judge the living and the dead. Those are some of my Christian convictions that I hold very deeply. If my convictions are very deep and born within us by the Holy Spirit, then they will be unchanging. If that is true and I believe what I believe about Jesus Christ, then that will never change. Then what happens in a situation like Thessalonica? Is that news of a church where their convictions are held as deeply as that begins to spread out? And people hear about this church, and people hear what kind of people are at that church, and what kind of things happen in Thessalonica. The church in Thessalonica had a reputation and it had a reputation of being worthy of copying. Look at what Paul describes as a kind of chain of events. You became imit- imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of all the suffering uh, that was going to come your way and did come your way. You became imitators Of the apostles. You welcomed the message. Then, in verse 7, you became a model to other believers. You, Thessalonians, became worthy of being copied by others. And then the Lord's message rang out from you, and your faith in God has become known. This is part of the fruitfulness. This is part of what happens when soil is rich and good and fertile and the seed of God's word lands in it and it becomes fruitful. The lives of believers become worthy of being copied and the pattern of church life spreads. That's that's the the history of Christianity. It's the, the pattern of consistent Christian living And the depth of convictions that we live by that begins to spread out. And that's exactly what was happening here. No publicity campaign needed. It just happens. People hear and see and imitate. And the Holy Spirit does his work. And the gospel spreads into different places the second thing. Thirdly, as we finish, the report uh, of this church which never changes. Look at the the last bit of the chapter, verses um, nine to the end. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell. This is what they're saying about the Thessalonians. They tell How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You heard what's happening in the church in Thessalonica, people were saying. You heard what's happening in the Thessalonian church. Oh, they've turned from their idols there. And they worship the living God now, and they're waiting for Jesus the Messiah to return from, from heaven. That's what's happening in the church in Thessalonica. Now, when we hear that phrase, have you heard what's happening in the church? in so And so our antennae are up, sometimes sinfully. You know, are we about to hear a bit of salacious scandal about a church somewhere? Or, maybe more positively, are we about to hear that the Lord's really at work in this place? Have you heard about what's happening in the church? And whatever it is, it's growing, and people are finding faith in Jesus. Well, when people heard about the church in Thessalonica, they heard that They were waiting, waiting, waiting for Jesus to return from heaven. This is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament. It was written very early on after the ascension, after the Gospels. One of the first to be written. Maybe Galatians was earlier. But other than that, earliest letters. And you can just imagine, can't you, that 10, 15, 20 years after the ascension, When Jesus himself had said to the apostles, I'm coming back again, and he disappeared up to the glory of heaven, when's it happening? When's it happening? You can imagine in the first four years, the whole Christian community were still waiting on tenterhooks. When's he coming back? By eight or ten years, some were waiting with a little less enthusiasm. Fifteen years further on, some had given up. Twenty years further on, many thought as Christians began to die, well, did we actually understand what Jesus said? He said he'd come back and we'd see him again, but our, our family, our loved ones are dying, so maybe he isn't. But have you heard what's happening in Thessalonica? They're still waiting. They're still waiting for Jesus. And they're still living and treating each other as if he may return at any moment because they know that he alone will rescue them from the wrath to come. They're still waiting. That was the report of the church. It never changed. very poetic, isn't it, when we sing things like, The days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold, when with the ever-circling years shall come the age of gold. But do we believe that age is coming? Just around the corner? Are we waiting for it? Living? As if it may dawn any moment? Is that dawning of the age of gold and the day of wrath and judgment through which we will be kept safe, into the glorious new creation, is that historical certainty the thing which dictates how I treat people, what I spend, what I do tomorrow morning, what's happening in the church in Thessalonica? They're still waiting. Many have given up waiting long ago, but they're still waiting, and living as if Jesus may come back any minute. And that report of them had never changed all these years since Paul proclaimed the gospel to them. We prayed as we sang these words, Holy Jesus, every day keep us in the narrow way. And when earthly things are past, Bring our ransomed souls at last where they need no star to guide where no clouds your glory hide that where your heart and mind are absolutely firmly anchored that is the home of my ransomed soul and one day my resurrected body and everything I do in life is focused on that event and that kingdom It's lovely to read of a church where the gospel had taken root, and it's lovely to read of soil where God's word landed and was fruitful. And I think if you go and look at the rest of the letter and the next letter to the church in Thessalonica, you'll see that so much of what made them fruitful was that they lived waiting for Jesus to come back as their primary focus. Well, maybe we should do that too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice that this church, 2,000 years ago, was still waiting for Jesus to return. And we pray that over the weeks and months of this year to come, we might be consistently found as those who are waiting for you, Lord, waiting for you to come again, to redeem this broken world, and to take us into your presence. That, Heavenly Father, is the new beginning for which we long. And as we go through all the different uh, chapters of life in this world, help us to live them and to love one another through them with our mind on that future. In Jesus' name, amen.